0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy
1: Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 18, which begins with Heimdall warning our heroes and ends with them looking around at an icy, empty land. Once again, we're joined by Chrissy Lenz and Nathan Blackwell from the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast. And to do you, I need to ask, other than the movies, what else is most excellent about the 80s? Mm.
2: Music. Absolutely. The music.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. God bless the synthesizer. And the, and the, and the sexy saxophone. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The 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 saxophone, the punk saxophonist of the Lost <laughs> Boys is one of my endemic 80s <laughs> memories. So, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. All right. And we'll get back with a lot more discussion about this particular minute of Thor right in a moment.
1: We just have so much fun doing this show, talking about Thor, talking about everything up to this point. There has been so much interesting conversation and interesting things to learn about these movies as we progress. We have a blast doing it and we love providing it free of ads that you don't want to hear. But all of this does take time and cost money. Consider signing up to be a member for the season. Membership is just $5 per month or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Members get bonus content, early access to shows, access to live streams, stickers, and more. Learn more at
0: truestory.fm
1: slash Marvel Movie Minute.
0: Let's just jump right into Heimdall's oath because we we hear him very clearly state that until now it seemed like he's very supportive of this, but now he's just reminding them if opening the Bifrost again to let you back in would threaten the realm would threaten Asgard, he's not going to do it.
1: I don't know. He's like helpful, not helpful, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. it's kind of a funny thing. But I guess and, and maybe uh, this is also just his way of kind of. I mean, we talked about it in the last minute how when Thor pretty much demands that you know we're going and uh but don't tell anybody and then they all walk on by without kind of confirming with Heimdall that he's giving the thumbs up maybe this is his way of saying is that cool <laughs> it's like they're borrowing the car yeah, yeah and, you right. know and and it's the uncle that they, <laughs> that's
3: always been kind of tough on them realizing that they're old enough to drive and I was like all
1: right right but if you're not back by 9 I'm locking the gates, yeah. like seriously. Yep. And I, I'll say I didn't have anything to do with it. Like it's like he's mm-hmm. he's basically totally like disowning any uh, responsibility for for anything he's doing here.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think also we're kind of getting a sense that like this isn't like beam me up, Scotty. You know, he's kind of saying that if if the bifrost is open, anyone who's there with you is coming along too. And and so I kind of get what my impression of what he's saying is is all of that, but also some element of. Okay, yes, you know, I want you to go there. I want you to investigate. I want you to talk. But if you wind up with 50 angry frost giants chasing you, I can't let you in because they're going to follow you along, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. I I, I do then love... Go ahead. Which they obviously... Didn't know until now.
3: (laughs) Thanks for some exposition. right? (laughs) It's like giant Gimli is like, oh, can't you just leave it open for us? Wink, wink. Right. Oh, that guy. At
0: at which point we get what I describe as Chekhov's full power of the Bifrost. Because, you know, it's that like once the full power of the Bifrost is introduced in Act One, you know, it has to be threatened in Act Three. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm, Which, of course, it's later going to be the thing. And you're right. It is just I get that they're having trouble explaining this whole world to us but we just have characters asking questions about things for exposition that they should absolutely mm-hmm. know
1: yeah it's it is a, a peculiar uh, well I, I guess it's not peculiar it is definitely something that they are trying in the script to kind of get this exposition out but in a way like sometimes there are moments like this that feel a little clunky because it's like it feels so obvious right mm-hmm. the way that they're spelling mm-hmm. these things out. And uh, so that makes it a little frustrating because, yeah, it's, 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 he's very, I, I your, your description of it as Chekhov's power with Bifrost is a perfect, uh, <laughs> a perfect way to describe it because, yeah, it's like, oh, is that going to come into play later?
0: Now, it does then have what I think is one of my probably top five moments of dialogue in the whole movie where Thor, again, just full of arrogance, full of, you know, he thinks he can do anything, says, I have no plans to die today. And Heimdall just, Says back, like, very again, you know, no reaction, none do. Yeah. Which I, I, it just gives me a little bit of chills, you know, because it's such a good reminder of like, no one who's about to go die in battle thinks they're going to. Like, a few of them. Yeah, probably some. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's if they're being real with themselves mm-hmm. that they they know. I also think it's interesting that they give Heimdall well one, they clearly are like like dropping his voice even deeper or they asked Elba to mm-hmm. kind of bring his voice down a notch just to kind of make it even more bassy, but also they they change his speech pattern where like I don't know, like instead of saying the Bifrost will remain close to you, he just says Bifrost will remain close to you, like it's a thing. And then later when he's replying to uh, about leaving the bridge open, uh, when Volstog asks, he just says, leave the bridge open would unleash the full power instead of like... To leave the bridge open, like he's dropping words, and it's it's a weird way that they've kind of scripted his speech pattern, as if he's so stoic. Like there are just certain words that he's it's just too much trouble to say.
2: He doesn't need adverbs and and conjunctions. is beyond all that.
0: <laughs> this is a man beyond participles. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: beyond time, beyond conjunctions. <laughs> I, to your point, though, about Thor's great line, which is fantastic. I we end up on a shot of him it's it's like we see everybody else looking fairly concerned about like what Heimdall is saying and Thor of course is smiling and as cocky as ever but I
0: can't help He's
2: such a jock, he's such a Jock and like a bully and a Gryffindor. Sorry, (laughs) but but that's just like
0: a proud Slytherin here. So I'm, I'm, I'm down with.
1: (laughs) He, well, he very much is. But also, it's like a close up shot of him, and it's like he's lit from underneath, and it makes those blonde eyebrows just completely disappear from his face. It is, Mm -hmm.
2: and how could you do that to such a beautiful face, like? Give us back our eyebrows. We deserve
3: them, right? Right. <laughs> Hashtag eyebrow cut. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it,
0: it's it's real bad. For me, more than anything, Thor in this in these minutes is he's that guy who is just in his own way so charismatic and so just like I believe in this so much that you kind of forget why you would not believe in it. That people will agree to go along with plans and then get halfway through and kind of be like. What in the world are we doing again? Why Why are we doing this? This is a really dumb idea. You know, and that's the kind of... Even just in his, like, he says, Heimdall, like, let us pass. And Andy, you pointed out yesterday, he doesn't just have to let you pass. He has to actually unlock the door. If Heimdall just stepped aside, you're not going anywhere. And to me, this is just all about Thor being so swept up in the the righteousness and the, the Gryffindor-ness of his cause... And all the others are starting to realize this is not quite going the way Thor said. Maybe this is more of a problem than we thought.
1: Yeah, right.
2: I think that's why Thor was probably my least favorite of the Avengers until, like, like certainly by Ragnarok, I was, like, yeah. way more on board as they, like, explored the depth of his character more. Um but yeah in this one i just there's there wasn't much of thor for me to get behind and root for i, I was i'm more team loki so
1: <laughs> that's it's an interesting point because uh, it's hard to to ask an audience and, and for people to connect with somebody who's so arrogant and cocky and yes he has that charisma and that really is what we all connect with and and ride along with but It takes I mean, the whole point of this film is Thor um, learning to kind of step step back from all of that and and to put other people ahead of himself and to actually pay attention to that sort of stuff. And so to that end, he certainly is a more uh, challenging character to kind of go along with uh, because he is so arrogant and just full of himself.
2: But so is Tony Stark, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So is Iron Man. So what I don't know. if I don't know what the difference for me is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a good point cuz they they both very much are very similar. Well, maybe it's because I don't know. I mean, cuz you could look at it like well Thor like they're they're gods or quote gods. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about kind of that place that they're put in the spectrum of things as a, but Tony Stark, he's also a millionaire, billionaire type of right. industrialist. So it's like, I don't know, there is a really interesting comparison between the two. Yeah. I well
3: it, it's that it's it's that balancing act of okay, you've got in terms of superheroes, you've got underdogs and you've got gods. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got the, uh, you've got the Spider-Man. You've got Captain America is kind of in that same position, you know, as the underdog. Yeah. And then you've got like Thor and Iron Man and some of these other characters that instead of like the DC route, I I feel like DC has a different direction in terms of dealing with God characters than Marvel does. You know? Yeah.
0: I also think with Tony Stark, just to kind of defend I'm I'm very much a Team Tony person, to me, I, I think it is now becoming more and more thought of that like a great way to judge someone is how do they how do they treat, you know, servants? How do they treat, you know, the service people around them. And We've seen with Thor, like, you know, he's pushing waiters out of the way. He's smashing things on the floor that someone else has to clean up. There's even in some of the deleted scenes, a couple scenes where he's going so far with that that I th- we were talking in the deleted scene discussion of, I-, I don't even know he could be a hero if he, go- if he went that far. <laughs> Tony Stark to me is the guy who tips 300% at the restaurant because he wants to show everybody how rich he is, you know? And it's like yeah. he he's arrogant. He's a show off. He is an ass to the people who are super close to him. But he's also like not because he cares, but he wants everyone to kind of look up to him. He he treats other people around him like a lot better, I think, than Thor does in terms of like the just the 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 side people in his life, the waiters at the restaurants, the doormen and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think that's to me, Tony Stark is a lot more kind of self-effacing and kind of self-aware about his arrogance. But he's kind of like, yeah, I'm an ass, but I I I walk the walk. Whereas Thor just doesn't get it yet.
2: Another possibility could be that like Iron Man is sort of wearing his arrogance as armor to to stop from being vulnerable. And I think Thor just
1: hasn't realized. But that's that's an interesting element in the films, because Iron Man like Tony is I mean, he's taken out right at the beginning of the film and he's forced to kind of work through that same stuff that Thor has to work through at the uh, in the first act of the film and it's and that's kind of what puts him into in his place where now he's got this this thing in his chest and he has to shift his his entire way of thinking through the rest of the film whereas thor like he he makes these decisions and yes he gets cast out and everything uh so i guess there is that but i just feel like there's there's a a longer journey for thor to kind of actually have those things click in his head than than it takes for tony
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his, his sacrifice is really towards the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I guess I,
0: I, I, we shouldn't get too lost on this, but I got to just push back there because I think to me with even with in Iron Man, even before he gets captured, the way he acts with the other soldiers, you know, yeah. they're there to serve him. They're beneath him in a lot of ways. He's teasing them and he's having fun with them, but he's still really trying to relate to them, you know, so that, right. that's just kind of yeah. one thing I'll say that I think there is a, a difference even before they have their fall. But I sure. think you're also very true.
1: Yeah like well and i mean to your point we don't see like when when in the deleted scene when that uh waiter or whoever he is servant comes up with the goblets of wine to give to thor and loki like and then loki tricks him and turns the wine into eels and he drops them on the floor Thor has no comment to the guy there. He doesn't even talk to the guy there. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. Like, he just says, what a waste of good wine to Loki. And it's, it's as if that person doesn't exist. So I I, I think that mm-hmm. there is something there. Like, Thor just doesn't see anything. It's very much that royal uh, viewpoint of everyone else is beneath me that that Thor carries.
0: Summary of it all, tip well, everybody. Um, <laughs> that's how you know if we're here or not. Uh, right. So uh, it is interesting also in that shot, they're they're standing in three rows, and I think, uh, Andy, you pointed out that this is a, a kind of formation we see often of Thor in front, and then Stiff and Loki kind of in the second row, and then the Warriors three in the third row.
1: Yeah, I, I, they, they, and honestly, like from the time they leave the palace on their horses, when they're walking up to, uh, to Heimdall, when they're standing here at the Bifrost, and even when they get to, uh, to Jotunheim as they're walking around, they're always going to be in this position. And it's, it's strange. And I'm not sure if that is something that is like, is there a militaristic reason why they kind of stand in that kind of, uh, pattern and, and with those particular people in those uh, rows. I don't know, but I do find it interesting. And we're certainly going to see that more as we kind of continue the uh, this uh, journey to Jotunheim.
0: I mean, I guess in D&D terms, you know, like you've got your really strong barbarian type at the front. You've got three kind of fighter types at the back. And then Loki, to me, is like a DPS character, you know, lots of damage, very squishy. Sif, I think, would be another warrior, but maybe she's more of like the the ranged fighter or something, you know? Could sure. be militaristic. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, right,
3: right. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you know, it it could also just be stacking them in terms of importance to the story. You know, if you've <laughs> got to frame everyone into right. it, you've got you know Loki and Sif up front who are more important than the, the the three dudes. Yeah.
0: So then, of course, we get to see the Bifrost in action, and this is the first time we see like from start to beginning the whole process. And I have to say, like, I would love to be able to travel fast anywhere I wanted. This does not look like a fun way to travel. I think <laughs> yes. I would be seasick every time I went through this. What do you all think?
3: Yeah, I, I would be thinking, it's just like, please don't land on my face. Please don't <laughs> land on my face. Like, you know, they're forward. They're shooting down like they've been shot out of a cannon. That would be my first concern.
1: It, Yeah, because it, it looks like you have a rubber band on your chest, basically. And it it, it yanks you on that, like, because they all look mm-hmm. like they're jerked forward from their the Center of their chest, and I mean, it looks awful. And and yeah. and and then once they're in it, it's almost like you know the Superman flying through the sky sort of look, where you know arms out in front, facing forward. But what's interesting is as we see them, this shot of them zipping through the bifrost, the the shot is they're basically going across the screen from right to left. But then the shot kind of tips, and now they're going like straight down. And I'm like, that is probably mm-hmm. the perspective that you feel. <laughs> as all of a sudden you pop out over a planet and are are mm-hmm. plowing toward it at insane mm-hmm. speed. Like, it does not look fun at all. And I'm like, okay, but they're going head first. Do they have to somehow turn themselves around so they get feet first before they right? hit? I don't
0: understand it. It's so strange. There's a lot of physics questions that come up for me. You know, reentry mm-hmm. burnout, I guess maybe the Bifrost is protecting you from that, but there's some speed issues. But also, yeah, the, the head first part... But here's my biggest physics question. You're all being shot forward, basically at the speed of light for all intents and purposes. And about halfway through, we see Thor... Catch up and pass one of them. Had
2: to shove his way to the front. How do you go yeah. faster or slower?
1: Like, <laughs> well, especially because he was already in front. So at some point, like he and uh, I was like, did uh-huh. they reverse order? Like it, it makes no sense.
3: Right. He had to check his phone messages. <laughs> he went back just a bit and
1: put it away. All right, screw you guys. Yeah, I'm in charge. It's like the tortoise and the hare. He's he's taking a nap uh-huh. under a tree along some uh, by some tr- star. <laughs>
0: I've made this comment before, but I think this is another nice reminder that you know, this movie is 10 years old and it's amazing to think how much our internet culture has changed. There've always been people who will watch a movie like shot by shot and point out the inconsistencies. But I think that's become much more of a thing since this movie was made, you know? And I I, I have the impression that if they made it today, you'd have people in the editing who were like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. What's happening here, you know? And would show them like flipping around at some point or, you know, show show why they land the way they do.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very but um, it's fun. I mean, and I think that's the thing that I do enjoy about it. And I wonder if they did stuff like when they pop through uh, over Jotunheim and Thor is like at this point, he's the third He he was first. I I think that probably it's just, it's a fun thing of saying, okay, so we're going to see a couple of people pass, then we'll catch up to Thor and he, and we're going to follow him and we'll see him pass. Somebody It's probably just all for visuals. Like from the filmmaking perspective, my guess is like, let's just have some action happening in there just to kind of keep people's interest.
0: And that's the thing is because I, I'm pretty sure when I watched this in the theater I wasn't thinking about well wait how did they crash or what's the phys- I was just like oh my god that mm-hmm. looks so cool you know
1: Yeah
3: oh yeah absolutely Yeah yeah it's it's the buy-in is the suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. like there's that you know, it's the old. Well, how does the speeder actually hover when it's turned off? And George Lucas' answer is anti gravity paint. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, that's the thing that upsets you.
0: <laughs> yeah, turn off your science mind and just enjoy a good show.
1: Yeah. yeah exactly it is as i look at this again though now i'm thinking that they do reverse as they pop through like because when we see the person that thor passes that person is holding a weapon and the only person that we have seen holding a weapon at the point when they get sucked into the bifrost is Volstog, who's holding his axe and so uh, so maybe what's happened is they pop through almost like in a reverse order and now thor is like working his way back to the front because as you said chrissy he just has to be the one in front right
3: he's doing the doggy paddle (laughs) through
1: the Bifrost, through light speed he's doing light
2: speed (laughs) plus one well and he's got mjolnir out in front so maybe i gotta beat you guys i gotta beat you guys (laughs) he gave mjolnir a little spin before he hopped in so he could go
0: a little faster Oh, yeah, so maybe he, like, all of them are just being... It's the difference between the people who are just standing on the escalator versus the person who's, like, walking up <laughs> the steps of the escalator. You know, he's he is taking action within the Bifrost.
3: That's right.
0: Uh, so they do crash land. And I have to say, the Bifrost doesn't seem to be a very subtle way to make your approach. Like, the, you know, <laughs> it's this brilliant flash of light. There's this huge dust bun, cloud. Bun, bun. Like, there's no subtlety at all. They've failed their sneaker rolls across the board. And now at least Thor's looking around. I feel like this is the first time where he is starting to have a little bit of, what did I get myself into? Did you kind of get that from his look at the very end? Yeah, he's kind of like, ew.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ugh. Jotunheim's gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it makes you wonder, has he been here before? Like, uh, my sense of the story uh. is he uh, like, he had that tale that Odin told him and Loki when they were kids in front of the Casket of Ancient Winters down in the vault. And my sense is that that there's been this kind of this truce between the Frost Giants and uh, the Asgardians, but perhaps they're not moving back and forth between each place, as though this might be the very first time he's actually seen the planet.
0: That's certainly my sense. I, and we'll talk about this more in the next minute. But I my sense is that till now, he's only heard about it in stories. So he has this image in his mind that, like, you know, he'll land and immediately, like the enemies will come forth to be slaughtered. And he's just not, this is not, you know, it's that, like, you've dreamed about this all your life, and now the reality is hitting you, and it's just not what you expected.
1: Well, and also, I, I mean, I, I don't know what sort of tales have been told of Jotunheim other than what he heard there, but we saw when uh, the uh, Einherjar guard kind of took the casket, it, it almost looked like it was unplugging from the planet in an odd way. And as they're coming down on the Bifrost, we see that there's, like, you know, pieces of stuff all around this planet, which I believe the intention is to make it look like the planet is kind of falling apart because it no longer has that, that ice power that it had been using to kind of keep going. And so perhaps also when Thor's looking around, he's realizing this planet's not in great shape. I thought it was a, a nice, right. at least a frozen planet, but a yeah. nice one. But, I mean, everything is falling apart here. All these poor people everywhere.
0: <laughs> uh. Well, because, yeah, I mean,
1: his, Such a prince. His,
0: his whole argument yeah. has to be That Jotunheim is just on the edge of conquering Asgard, you know, because that's what justifies what he's doing. And if Jotunheim is this poor, broken place where they can't even, like, take care of themselves, let alone invade his home, now he looks like more of a bully, you know, going to beat them up instead. And so I think that's – he in his mind, Jotunheim has to be super powerful so that he can win honor and glory by defeating them. Mm Mm-hmm. So anything else about this minute that grabs us? Uh,
1: what I love about it is that we really get to see a full trip through the Bifrost and mm-hmm. uh, kind of get to... Because, we I mean, we had a, a very little hint of it, at least seeing it from kind of Midgard's perspective of what looked like a tornado arriving. We saw, just from space, we saw when um, Odin traveled through it from Jotunheim back to Asgard, but this is the first time where we really get to see it. we get to see the people in it. Um, I The only other question I had is you know it's it's like in Star Wars when they uh, when they're traveling uh, warp speed, it's like how long does this take? like are they like all right let's go and then they're like you know fifteen minutes mm. of this like is it instantaneous mm-hmm. like how large is it is it an hour like I mean depending on how far it is, I don't know it seems like it could be a pretty boring trip. Got to bring something to read, <laughs> right? Right. The and then the only other thing that I wanted to point out is I I've I, I don't know why I'm I've become I'm becoming obsessed with uh, Sif's hood that she that she wears because it looks like a really interesting hood that actually has a hole for her ponytail in the back. Um, you know, it's this big <laughs> draping hood, but then it's got a it, like, and you can really see it kind of toward the end of the minute after they've landed. It looks like kind of a triangular opening in the back where she or her hair is allowed to kind of blow out which i've never seen in hoods before
0: but that at least is a nice nod to the mythology because i think we've been mentioned before in the myths um loki cuts off her hair and it's this moment of great anger for her because of how much she loves her hair and yeah. so she winds up having the giants uh the dwarves build her the world's gr- the, the world's best wig that's ever been built and it continues to be something that she's thought to be very proud of and so in that it is kind of a nice idea that like she would be like okay i'll be a warrior i'll be badass but you're still checking out the hair like i'm not covering that
1: so true so true and i just also to that point what can't the dwarves build
0: i mean you know as long as the star is fired up that's all they need
1: stuff made out of wood
0: (laughs) yes they suck
3: that very true
0: all right well thank you both as always um if people want to get like a real good sense of the 80s movie podcast you do, are there a couple of episodes you'd recommend, like check out this to get like the, this is the perfect first taste of your podcast?
3: I think the Goonies episode is a lot of fun.
2: That's what I was going to say, too. I love the Goonies one.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that was relatively recent. It was within the 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 most recent year. During It was during a pandemic. It was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. The most recent one, at least. <laughs>
0: well, definitely check that out. Um, for those, by the way, who are curious about my own stuff, I do a couple of podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Uh, I do the Superhero Ethics Podcast and the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And of course, also on that podcast is the MCU Cast, which, if you really want uh, to di- have another way to dive into Marvel, they don't do kind of the deep dive minute by minute there, but they do kind of reviews of every movie, every TV show, a lot of great discussion. Please check all that out, as well as check out the uh, uh, Stranded Panda Chat Group on Facebook. So, thank you all uh, so much for being a part of this. Thank you to the fans, and have a great day.
1: Until next time, True Believers.
0: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at TrueStory.FM. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.